Welcome back to another episode of Christian Reconstruction 101. I am your host, Jeremy Walker. Episode 2 here, we're going to be discussing marriage and continuing that subject. Question for us today, are polygamy and divorce sanctioned by God? Very important questions here. On Christian Reconstruction 101, we hope to do a couple things, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, get doctrine, get some reproof, get some correction, so that, the, so that the people of God can be mature or perfect, able to perform good works. To find this episode and more, go to our website at cr101radio.com forward slash Christian Reconstruction 101. Now let's go ahead and get started. I think this is an important question. People need to lighten up a lot where the Bible studying is concerned, understanding things is concerned. People, well, you're uptight a lot. See, people fail to understand one simple subject, which we covered in the first episode. That God gives laws sometimes that govern things they're not necessarily his standard. And there are many cultural examples of things that were done but were not commanded by God or the standard for God's people. Two of those, as we kind of mentioned in the opening here, are polygamy and divorce. Now, people will have a knee-jerk reaction when they hear that. Oh, polygamy, is that allowed? What is it sanctioned by God? Did God ever try to govern it but not really command it and sanction it? Well, the answer is yes, he did. And divorce is another question. Was it ever allowable? Was it something that God permitted? Well, the answer is yes, he did. See, people have a problem because they want to have all the answers. They want, don't want to leave God as sovereign. Most of the time, you're going to have people talk about how God's law is forever. It's the standard it's the objective standard. Objective for all of reality, for all of time. These are the ridiculous apologists you hear out there all the time trying to argue with unbelievers about the subject of, is God's law better than another man's law? And so forth and so on. But I think it's very important to understand one simple subject. God does permit certain things and did at some point. Now the question is, is why? Well, if you go all the way back to Genesis, where we had the flood, and God, of course, because of the wickedness of man, had covered the world. He wiped it all out. But then, as soon as they come off the ark, he makes a covenant. A covenant between him and not man, but the world. Hence the rainbow up in the sky. And the problem was, is that mankind wasn't going to change because he wiped them out the first time. The people that got off the boat were the exact same. They were going to have the same problems. Their children were going to have the exact same issues that all those prior to the flood did as well. So something was going to change. He was going to have to be patient. He changed how he was going to deal with man. Not in the sense that God changes or didn't know or some new information. 
because some people would hear something say like that, well, God changes. Well, I change not. Just relax. You know, calm down. See, the problem with people is that whenever they go into these subjects, they're so uptight about having the, the quick little spur, you know, shoot people with these little quibs that they can't actually sit down and talk about things. And the problem is, is that because of that, they never, ever, ever challenge what they see and what they think. Like, you know, ever. So let's just touch on a couple things here because I won't be able to, and I won't go into every subject that's here. Uh, but I just want to touch with Christian Reconstruction 101, pointing out some things that we as Christians should be able to do. And we should be able to look at the Bible honestly and objectively and say, what does it actually say? You know, don't get on your high horse about your apologetics training and all this kind of stuff that you get into. But let's just go into the basics of you are a Christian. Uh, like me, I'm a Christian father, and I want to know something. I want to know about marriage as we're talking about it here. First episode, we talked about marriage, and we found out that there was a lot of stuff that happened, examples in the Bible, good godly Christian people, saints of the Old Testament, that are not our standard. That's not what we are currently, as fathers, as prospective husbands and wives, are supposed to use as our standard. So this episode is about, has the standard changed? And if it has, why? And, and what are the ways that it's changed? Did God, you know, treat people differently in the Old Testament versus now? And the answer is, yeah, he did. Now, I know some people are going to say, no, let's just jump into it then. Let me give you an example. First example is of polygamy itself. First of all, the famous polygamous families, just to run down a couple, not going to go through all of them, Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, Gideon. Just a couple that are there. There's lots more you can go through. But that gives you the standard, some of the greatest saints in the Bible, and they were diehard polygamists through and through. Uh, they had both wives and concubines, which, of course, is a completely another subject, which we might get into, but not today. What's the difference between a wife and a concubine? And some people say, well, the difference is dowry. Some people came in with a dowry, and they're paid, and some didn't. Well, where's the dowry? Where's the dowry commanded by God? Is there a dowry commanded by God? Is there a concept where you can marry somebody and they're a concubine but not a full wife? What's the differences here? Is this a biblical concept, a biblical commanded concept? Well, where governing polygamy is concerned, there are a couple passages you can go to to see a couple of the different instances where polygamy was governed. Polygamy was never sanctioned by God. It was never commanded by God. But there were stipulations and limitations placed on the concept of polygamy, and those are just facts. In Leviticus 18.18, 18, uh, God has this very simple passage, Neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness uh, beside the other in her lifetime. So there was a sanction against a uh, wife and sister, in Leviticus 20.14, there is also a wife and her mother. Prohibition against that as well. And so these two prohibitions don't say, Thou shalt marry one woman. Thou shalt not have more than one wife. 
Uh, there are Bible passages talking about how kings should not be multiplying wives and so forth and so on, which Solomon completely goes against. Not a surprise that he had problems. But there are sanctions on polygamy, things saying you can't do this, so you can't have a wife and her sister. This will be the case of Jacob. We saw Leah and Rachel and the horrible things that happened because of that. In other words, God doesn't come straight out to the Old Testament guys here whenever God gave his law and say flat out, thou shalt have one wife or else. It's not there. Now, we do have the example, of course, of what the standard was. Now, of course, you have uh, standards for like now we have the, the church, the Christian church, the New Testament, the fully revealed Christianity, which the Old Testament guys are all part of just in a different way. In other words, they didn't understand what we understand now, the full revelation of what that means. But in Titus 1.6, 1 Timothy 3.2, and also 3.12, you have examples of what it means to be in charge, a person who is a elder, a deacon, things like that. And it focuses very much so on the concept of having a husband of one wife. It's a very important concept. You have in Ephesians 5.31, where a man leaves his father and mother, they join their wife, and they become one flesh. So the concept is very, very simple about setting the standard about what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be one flesh, one person, not with multiple people. Adam and Eve was one person. There wasn't multiple set up. And so this standard of polygamy was never sanctioned by God. It was allowed by God. In a couple of verses I showed here, and there wasn't all of them, uh, it was clearly governed, uh, limited. Limitations were placed upon it. There's other things that were also limited and sanctioned as well, like slavery was another one. And there are stipulations and limitations placed on that concept as well. Not saying that God sanctions slavery and says that you should go do this. It's a good idea. Go conquer people and take slaves. But these things were happening. God had a plan. And as the plan through time was going to progress, he was going to have to be patient with man. Otherwise, he would continue to wipe them off the face of the planet. And so when somebody asks you, well, why did God permit these things? Why did God allow them? That's a wonderful question. Because the Bible in Acts says that at one time God winked at the sins of men, winked at them, but now commands that every man repent. Now that's from Paul in the book of Acts when he is, of course, talking there on Mars Hill. And the interesting concept is that this is part of what it's talking about here. God allowed certain things for a time, but now the standard is being set. And the concept of polygamy is never one that's ever been sanctioned by God as a proper relationship between a husband and wife. A man is supposed to have one wife, period, end of story. That's all there is to it. Now, there's another concept which we touched on was divorce. And these two actually kind of go hand in hand to a certain extent. But in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, we have, quote, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it into her hand, and send her out of his house. So divorcement is clearly sanctioned by God to the Old Testament uh, through his law in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, and tells him how to do it. Give him a writ of divorcement, and you're out. Well, people would say, well, hold on a second. God didn't do that. Really? Okay, well, Matthew 9, 3 through 8. 
And the Pharisees also came to him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writ of divorcement, and to put her away? It's a good question, isn't it? And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. See, universal standards that govern marriage in particular are not to be made by the example of others or laws given out of pity and long-suffering or based on obscure cultural practices that are not fully understood, but solely on the whole word of God that's clearly understood and commanded. See, here it's very simple. The standard at the beginning with Adam and Eve is one husband, one wife, leave, cleave together. You're no longer two, but one flesh. You can't become one flesh with other people. This is not so. God joins people together. They are not supposed to leave each other. But what about divorcement now? If you can't just get rid of them for any reason, are you then forever married? Great question. Also answered by Jesus as well in Matthew 5, 32. But I say unto you that whosoever put away his wife saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Matthew fifteen nineteen. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Matthew nineteen nine. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now the interesting case here is, what does it mean for a person to say you cannot divorce, you can't put your wife away except for fornication? Now some have believed this means sexual immorality. And in some cases in the Bible, it does speak of that uh, as a form of uh, fornication is sexual. But not all of it is. See, here he says, save for fornication causes her to commit adultery. It doesn't say that if she commits adultery, then that's why you can put her away. There has to be the cause of fornication. Because otherwise she's going to commit adultery when she has sexual relations with someone else. If she remarries someone else, and hasn't been properly divorced. She's committing adultery with the new person. Whoever takes her on is also committing adultery as well. You're not allowed to remarry somebody unless they've been properly divorced. And in this case here, it's for fornication. This is not somebody you're going to want to remarry anyways. So what is the difference here? Because in the Matthew 15, 19, we have adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and blasphemies listed differently. See, in the Bible, it's very interesting Fornication is also called whoredom, whoredom, and whoredom is a infidelity. Infidelity is in lots of different ways. It's not just in a sexual manner. A man who fails to properly care for his family is committing fornication. A man who beats his wife is committing a form of fornication, a, a type of leaving God 
and embracing a new God with new actions. This is what it means. And also in the Bible, the New Testament talks about new converts who are already married, and it says, well, if the other person is content to stay with you, you should not leave this person. As long as they're you know, content to stay with you, you might convert them. Who knows if they'll be converted as well with you. This is the concept here that it's talking about. It's not just about the concept of sexual impurity. That would be adultery. Fornication is a much broader concept, a whoredom against God and away from God. A person who turns away from God, a person who hates God, cannot be yoked together with one of God's children. Hence, in the New Testament, that's why Paul talks about it. If they're content to stay with you, that means they're okay with you teaching your kids about God, training them to obey God, and that person wants to continue to stay there as their entire family is being rededicated to God and away from what they used to be, and they're okay with that, well, just stay. That's perfectly fine. But this is what it's talking about here. You can't have two people join together that are not fitting in one flesh, the same God. One commits fornication, whoredom against God. This is the only cause for adultery. This is an unequal yoking. Same reason why we talked about it in the first episode. You can't form marriages. And we'll talk about this later, I'm sure. You can't form marriages with people of unlike faith. And unlike faith, you cannot do that. This is forbidden by God. And here, this is what it's talking about here. A person can put away husband or wife for the cause of of whoredom, fornication, and turning away from God, then this is what divorce is for, but only for that. But otherwise, this is not something you're supposed to separate from. But here, as we've gone back to the original thing we were talking about, because this isn't necessarily about divorce, but polygamy and divorce were both somewhat allowed in the Old Testament and sanctioned as well, but is not our standard. Throughout the Bible, there's a lot of this kind of stuff. People like to argue about the law of God and lots of other stuff. They don't slow down for five seconds. They just don't slow down. They want the quib. They want the short answer. They want the, the fancy social media post where they poke somebody in the eye. But what about as a father? What is it you're supposed to guide your children and do and yourself? You have to be careful to find the standard in the Bible I'm pointing these two things out because this is going to be progressing as we go through more and learn more and talk about more. Because as a father, I want to know what I'm supposed to believe, the doctrine. I want to be corrected where I'm wrong in my viewpoints because they affect me. They affect what I do and what I do with other people, my children, how I guide them, how I teach them, what I do. I want the reproof and the correction that come with all that. If you, the listener, are a child of God, you're one of God's people, then the good works are what flows from all of this. This is being pointed out about why is it that God sanctioned all this? Why was it that God permitted all this? Well, the hardness of their hearts. This is why God did allow it. He does give an answer for this. Sometimes in the Bible, God doesn't give an answer. And we should be careful not to go farther than what we understand. But here in this case, it's very simple to see. That both polygamy and divorce were both either sanctioned, like in the case of polygamy, or fully permitted, fully permitted by Moses in the Old Testament, meaning God's commands, because of the hardness of their hearts. For God's plan to progress along the lines that it was going to progress along, he winked at certain things, was patient and long-suffering towards them. 
pushing towards the standard. Because otherwise, what's he going to do? Continue to wipe out the planet every five seconds because people aren't keeping the law of God? Have you not paid attention that you can't actually keep the law of God perfectly? The standard can't be kept by you. It can only be kept by Christ. So when you stop and slow down a little bit, you slow down a little bit, you understand that God's law is not this objective thing that exists out in the real world like some kind of thing like water or gravity, but it is something that belongs to God. He's sovereign. At any point in time, he changes his standard when he wants to change his standard. He allows and permits the things he wants to allow and permit at the time. What he allowed one person to get away with doesn't mean he's going to allow somebody else to get away with it either. It's very clear in the Bible that there are certain people that are allowed to get away with sin because they're not of God's people. See, if we don't see us as having a personal God with personal laws, all geared towards pushing to a certain direction, which is his final goals and plans for us, we've really missed the boat when we're studying the Bible and as parents or fathers or husbands, we're just trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. What am I supposed to believe? What am I supposed to do? And if you don't understand those concepts, then you're going to miss the boat entirely. But you don't have to get upset when somebody brings this stuff up in the Bible. It's true. Why did God allow it? Because he wanted to. Is that okay? Yes, it is. He's sovereign. Of course he is. What am I going to say? No. Have you not read the book of Job where God took away all of Job's kids, took away all of his wealth, took away his health, and he was not given an answer? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Our goals are not to understand why God does something per se, but the question we should be asking ourselves is, what does God want from me? So these examples here, polygamy, divorce, uh, all the different stuff in between, are showing us things that God permitted, potentially sanctioned at times for certain reasons, but are not our standard now. Polygamy clearly is not the standard from the beginning, Hence the one flesh we talked about. And even though God sanctioned it at certain points in time, it is not something we are permitted to do or teach or propagate. It's not a difficult concept here. The divorce concept is very, very, very simple. Yes, at one point God did permit it to happen because of the stiffness of their necks, but now it is not the same. Our standard is to be that of a husband with one wife. It's a very simple subject. So anyways... I just wanted to touch on those two things today. Are polygamy and divorce sanctioned by God? Well, at one point they were. The answer is a simple yes. But are they anymore? No, they're not. Is it permitted that God can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants? You better believe it. And don't sit down and try to think you understand, well, this was part of the Levitical law, and this was part of the moral law, and this was... Just stop. Don't try to be smarter than you actually are, which is with the vast majority of the time, What's going on when people try to look at God's word and God's law and try to understand this type of stuff? So, I hope you learned something. I like talking about it here on Christian Reconstruction 101. It's fun. I love theology. I love to talk about it. I love to discuss it. But mostly, I want to learn something. I hopefully will take that knowledge and put it right actions, which is what we're hoping to do. That's the goal. But if you want more of these episodes, keep tuning in. Christian Reconstruction 101, we're covering marriage at the moment just because it's on my mind. I'm a parent and a father. And uh, so tune in more for more of our 
different discussions on potentially marriage. I think we'll continue on this. I have a, quite a few more things I want to cover. But thank you for joining me. Jeremy Walker, Christian Reconstruction 101, signing off.